Welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. I am Antonio. With me, as always, David. How's David, how the on? hell are you? No, I got there first. You got to tell me how you're doing. I was louder. <laughs> well, I am doing fantastic on this bright and shiny day. And Excellent. You? That's an incredibly personal question. Um, <laughs> I'm doing good. Sun is shining. I think my blinds are a bit broken, so I can't move them very much. I'd like some more light, but... Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Um, otherwise, I'm doing okay. What are we doing today? Well, this is, I guess this is my topic, so we're just going to go badly. And <laughs> I want to be listening to an episode of the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had this sort of pet project in mind and it's still very unformed so it's probably going to go like a first draft of an essay today but i was interested in talking about superheroes and superheroes in light of an article that i was reading on the atlantic about the turning the reassuring line for mr rogers to look for the helpers into a meme for adults should make everyone uncomfortable and the idea in this article is that lately, quoting from the article by um, Ian Bogost, lately, whenever something goes horribly wrong, someone offers up Roger's phrase or a video in which he shares his sucker. During the Thai cave rescues in response to the U.S. uh, family separation policy after school bus accident in New Jersey, following the fatal explosion in Wisconsin, in the aftermath of the van attacks in Toronto, and in the wake of the Stoneman Douglas School Massacre. There's, and it it links to all of the different articles that mention look for the helpers. So the problem that this article points out and a problem that I've been experiencing is this idea that look for the helpers is not a call to action anymore. Mm. And when Mr. Rogers is saying to look for the helpers, he's really directing that towards children. And he's telling them, let's not always be afraid in the face of disasters because there will always be people that will help. But now it's adults who seem to be turning to Mr. Rogers. And it's sort of like the comedy meme, like, help, we need an adult. And then I realize I'm an adult and I look for an adult to your adult. And at some Mm. point we're going to run out of adults. And then what do we do? And what would our morality say? And what would be our guiding principles if we did something? Mm. that's a deep question that's a big one um there's a couple of things i guess i want to parse out uh not just to take away from that one example but i think superheroes i mean they're obviously designed for kids right uh, one they're, they're very they're very specific in kind of their their overarching goals or themes especially this kind of like moral theme about them so you got stuff like um uh, what is it like self pride in yourself through like the x-men right the x-men are incredibly unique and the world tends to think of them as freaks and weirdos but they tell you no take pride in your own special unique gifts which is a way you can tell kids you know everyone is individualistic and special take pride in yourself right um you got like batman and iron man who are everyday heroes in the sense that there's no special powers about them except for the fact that they're filthy rich and both incredibly smart but if you forget hey, about those don't two don't knock being wealthy is a superpower it's like <laughs> a cheat true. code that is that is a cheat code um i mean batman's the ultimate cheat code um but i mean the idea there is that anyone can be a hero right if you see if you see a problem and you feel like you can do something then you totally can do it um we have what superheroes tell us to work better as teams to, to be less individualistic. You get the justice league, whatever the X-Men force. Um, who's that? Now you sound like there? my mother. No, oh, the X-Men force. People. <laughs> the X-Men you better, force. You're playing with them again. I was mixing. I was mixing uh, groups of people. Yes. The fantastic four, the X-Men. And I want to say there's something force. There is the X-Force. The X-Force. There you go. Shit, even Power Rangers, just groups yeah. that work better as as individuals, as as groups, right? And um, there's also this idea that what with power comes responsibility, right? The very famous uh, Spider-Man line. It has been in at least three movies. It's been in at least three movies. This shit's great for kids. When you start to transfer it to adults, I think it gets watered down a bit more. Um, yeah, I don't think they're as problematic as the one you brought up with. Um, you know, looking for the helpers. 
mm-hmm. for finding the helpers. So that's the first thing I, I, that's the first thing I want to break down there because it's this this division between kids and adults. Um, and there's this recent push in pop culture that says you know relive your childhood, right? The, I don't think that there's been a time in history where people of my age now, I'm in my 30s, have been so encouraged to go back to the things that they loved in childhood and bring that with them, right? Toy collections, all of the all of those things that we would have grown up with in the 80s, all those toys are now worth a fortune because people want to buy them because their parents sold them at garage sales in the 90s when they stopped playing with them. So there is this sense that we're like the Mr. Rogers quote, we're trying to pull the comfort of childhood with us. And that's not to, that's not to infantilize adults. Mm. But that's to say that perhaps one of the things that it tells us is that our problems are becoming so big. And we've talked about all of the myriad of problems that we have in previous podcasts, yeah. but so big that we now are paralyzed in the face of them. Yeah, we're, we're, looking, for our, we're looking for our safety blanket. Uh, or things that give us some kind of distraction, right? Like toy, it was on Netflix. You have that show, it was like toys that shaped us or something like that. I love going down nostalgic roads. I started getting back into like wrestling storylines because that's what I liked as a kid too. It gives me distraction and comfort. It also gives me a clear like bad guy, good guy. And there's always yes. a clear solution and it's to punch the bad guy in the face many, many times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when you when you transfer that to the world's larger problems, it's really fun and easy uh, to make these groups of bad people, good people. How do we stop the bad people? Well, there's someone who has the power to stop those bad people. Who that someone is is I don't know. Up to the individual, I guess. I mean, I, I mean that I mean that in a real way, right? Is is it is it is it a nation that's going to stop it? Is it a collective organization of individuals? Is it something like social movements? We're just really grasping for straws when we're trying to solve these problems, right? Like, how are we going to stop single-use plastic? Try and yell about it enough, um, right? Get celebrities maybe to endorse it. Like, it's not working. I mean, it, it's just not there. How are we going to stop global warming? Uh, shit, that's a bigger problem too. Let's just deny it. Um, yeah. These things are, are beyond, I think, they're seemingly beyond any individual action which I can see as being one of the reasons why you start looking for other people who might be in that position of power who can do something, but we don't know who they are. And we would be terrified of them if we knew who they were. Like the yeah. idea that someone would just come in and take away our single-use plastics, that would not look like a superhero to a lot of people. That would look like a tyrant. That would look like you know Lex Luthor becoming the president of the United States in that one comic book run. Oh, man. Hey, total side note, but Really, the best way to stop single-use plastics is to just get rid of it. Right, but who's going to make you get rid of it? That's the that's the thing, right? We want to be able to we want to be able to get there on our own emotionally over the course of you know ten to a hundred years. We don't want the government to turn around and say (laughs) we're banning single-use plastics because that's tyranny. And if you believe some media, that's communism. Right. Could you imagine trying? Okay, you're you're fourteen and you're you're you you start smoking and you realize you got to quit. But you don't give yourself days or months. You give yourself your entire lifetime. Like before I die, I want to stop quitting smoking. That sounds stupid. <laughs> right? yeah, in about a hundred years, I think we can get rid of the single-use plastic. We know it's destroying our environment. No biggie. It's just so lucrative. We can't deny the billionaires their billions. I mean, plastic is a petroleum byproduct, and we can't get rid of petroleum because you needed to make the plastics would go into our solar panels. So, and therefore, if they didn't make single-use plastics, you would just be dumping that into the oceans anyway, because why shouldn't they be allowed to do that? So really, who's, who are we harming by having single-use plastics other than every single living creature and non-living creature on the Earth? No one, really. Exactly. See, Mars doesn't care if we have single-use plastics, so why should I? So you're, you're a supervillain now, right? <laughs> Well, the scary part is when you draw that to its natural conclusion, aren't all of the people that are like, no, government can't regulate. No, you can't get rid of these things. Don't we all just down like supervillains? Let's, let's use the example I was using before we had this conversation of Superman 1. Right? Lex, mm. Luthor, the, Lex Luthor isn't the, super, the billionaire super genius that he is from the comics or some of the TV shows. No, he's a real estate developer in New York. And his big scheme is to buy up waterfront property and then let global warming sink all of the buildings ahead of his so that his go up in value all he's saying is 
let this take its course. Government can't regulate it away. This is a good thing. He's a supervillain in that movie. We buy that. Superman is saving the world. Meanwhile, we're just cool with it happening. I mean, I get, I, is complacency in something like global warming the same as having the intent of driving, right? I mean, because it's not like, okay, I'm going to buy this property and in 50, 60 years, if we continue along this path, I'll have beach water or beachfront property. It's I'm going to buy this property and then I'm going to melt the ice caps to immediately get the the end result. Is it that intention then that is the worrying part, right? For us. So, so is, it, I, is the amount it, of time that it takes for something to happen? I mean, it, it's the, I think it's also the intention of it, right? Because you can have maybe not, you can have a little bit of plausible deniability with your single use plastic or driving your car by being the only person in it regularly um, my family has two cars. There's me and my wife. We both have a car. That's kind of dumb. Consider we also drive separately most of the time. Uh, what's the point of that? Am I intentionally saying, screw you, ozone? Maybe. <laughs> but I think I'm being much more passive about it and not really thinking it. Um, yeah. We're splitting hairs on this one. <laughs> right? That's what we're, we're here for. We're all, we are all passively allowing for this crap to continue um and maybe that's what i'm that's what i'm doing here is some of it is a matter of reframing right if mm. we see a superhero as someone who stops these harms and we can acknowledge that there are the same harms happening in a much slower time scale why are we still as this article suggests looking for the helpers when we could do that what is the thing that stops us from saying Yes, ban single-use plastics and we will figure it out. And it's con it is convenience and it is complacency on the very small scale. But yeah. when you see it as, the, as a big-scale problem, right, if we're talking about long-scale time here, those people are still supervillains. We're all kind of being supervillains about this. Very pathetic little supervillains. Yeah, very pathetic people little supervillains. I mean, if we're all being supervillains, then... The, the term goes away it does it, it goes it's like away. that from we're the incredibles being, if everyone has superpowers yeah yeah sorry go ahead if everyone has superpowers then no one has superpowers that's right yeah uh we're just being bad people by by not doing this stuff i mean th this this brings up concerns with like collective harm right there's there's psychological principles that we're we're way less likely to help other individuals or to solve a problem if there's more people around as well yeah. Right. I mean, if I stop, so I, I've basically stopped eating meat. Uh, I just don't do it very much, if ever. And when I do, I try and get it ethically sourced. Um, so I, I feel like I'm not making a difference in that fight because I'm, I'm really, my individual difference is not going to be felt. Yeah. So if that's my, imp like, right. If, if your impetus is, Hey, you should stop using single-use plastic, stop eating meat, and then you'll make an impact. Well, will I? Eh, I guess collectively you won't, right? We, everybody really has to. You take your two cents out of it, we're not going to notice. It's one of the problems why people don't give to charity. Because um, you just yeah. don't, your, your little donation really isn't going to do anything. So I can see that psychological thing of, well, if I'm not going to get anything out of this or make a difference, I'm not going to bother. Um, we're definitely then not superheroes. I don't even think we're not super villains. We're just kind of crappy people. <laughs> that's a much that's a much worse conclusion. If we're just crappy people, then then we don't. That's you know human nature question. Are we just fundamentally crappy people? At least super villains can choose not to be super villains anymore. That's true. But like they Lex Luthor in the crappy people. Yeah, Lex Luthor in the Else Worlds, right? That the we're super the, based on the two games. Mm. Uh, I don't remember what the games are called now off the top of my head, but where Superman turns evil and then Lex Luthor is the one who's trying to stop him. We have that choice if we're supervillains. But if we're not, if we're just crappy people, we're the people that Batman shows up and punches in the face in the streets because they're kind of bad, but not really bad. <laughs> I mean, like Batman in the comics is just beat, in the, especially the early comics, is just beating up street thugs. So probably drug addicts, probably disenfranchised individuals just trying to get by and do their part. True. He's, not, he's cleaning the streets. Yeah, maybe not in the most ethical way possible, yeah. but I mean, him swooping down and punching them in the face, we still read that and yeah, he's cleaning up the streets. I don't want Batman to punch me in the face because I'm using a plastic straw at McDonald's. 
I have, I have other questions about Batman, about what his, his ethical motivations are, but I think this might draw back into the, one of the, the second points of your, of the initial start of this podcast is superheroes tell us a lot about the ethics or at least the ethical ideas that we'd like to privilege, but yet can't seem to do ourselves. And I don't mean like across the board, right? You can have self-pride, but there's a reason why we have hundreds of millions of dollars get pushed into self-help books. Uh, we have support groups or individuals, right? We go out of our way to tell groups of disenfranchised people that you should be proud of yourself and, you know, speak your voice and thing. And that's what superheroes are supposed to have done for years. So it is giving us a hint at what we might idealize, but we don't have that practice for it. Or at least and not why? all of us, right? Why not? I'm not sure why. I, I, I don't oh. know what makes... I don't know what... So if, I, if I'm a part of a, a, a disenfranchised group, I don't know what makes me be the one to finally speak up or start some kind of formal group, right? Like the, the first person who started an LGBTQ group at a university. I don't know what they have that someone else didn't have like what broke the straw right were they looking for some other person to do it and couldn't find it and eventually just said why not like let me try or were they that kind of hero that we've all that we're looking for are they the more adultier adults that's going to help us adults because i don't know how yes yes to all of it <laughs> yes to all of it <laughs> I was, I was just encouraging you to continue with the yarn. I was enjoying where you were going. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to parse out this, this idea of what makes, like most of us can agree, we can see the superheroes, right? Um, we, we know which heroes like in our comic books and movies really do represent a true hero. We know which ones kind of represent that gray area. Um, we know when they're being kind of sarcastic about it, right? So that the latest Venom movie, he's the anti-hero. He's a, a hero, not by choice, but almost by force, right? Like he, he's going to do these nice things because he also doesn't want to die. Yeah. Well, your motivation there isn't great. So are you really a hero, but you're doing heroic things, right? Putting yourself up, self-sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. So I'm more, I'm more interested in, in what makes a hero a hero. Yeah. And that's changed over time quite substantially, at least from my reading of pop culture. When you go back to the old Superman comics and you go back to the old Superman Christopher Reeves movies, it's very clear that the, the problem is like greed or capitalism run amok or somebody who's gotten a little bit too powerful and is using that power to disenfranchise other people. Mm. Like even the Penguin from the 90s Batman movie, he's not super villain on a massive scale. He's just being a dick to a lot of people in a specific area, right? He's just, he's causing problems for people's lives, but yeah. he's not trying to, he's not trying to like destroy the universe. He's not Thanos level problem. He's like this little area, this block in Gotham city problem. Yeah. Are we talking about the one um, with Danny DeVito? That would be the second one. The second the one. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And he had a whole, he had a shitty life growing up. He's, yeah. he's, he literally looks like a penguin, right? Mm -hmm. You can see the hate and anger that he might have. And he's, yeah, he's not trying to rule the world. He's just trying to rule a little corner of it or control it. Yeah. And I guess the, like, you don't think of it too much, right? But I mean, like, you have developers who control parts of cities, who, who force yeah. all groups of, of people out, right? So I, I live at, I live downtown in Toronto. And throughout the years, we've seen, um, the homeless population that's in the core get dispersed out through, I guess, gentrification, right? So now there's kind of one street where they're still welcome or where they still have resources to go to. And eventually that street is going to become overdeveloped and they're going to get pushed out even further out of the city. That seems like a very evil thing to do too. Um, but the, 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 I guess that the difference is the developer isn't saying I'm doing this specifically to get rid of these people. Rather, they're just doing it to benefit others to live there now, right? Like, so it's a beneficial side effect. Disenfranchising the homeless is a benef beneficial, in scare quotes, yeah. side effect of a developer just doing what they do. Yeah. 
I guess I'm going, I want to go back to that intention thing, right? It's yes. trying to find the, the initial intention point of your action can really help determine, you know, the moral value of it. And For obviously sure. it's hard to figure out intention, right? A lot of us might read into developers as intentionally displacing people. Um, yeah. And you're, they're, they're probably right. Um, let's be honest, <laughs> right? We, we live in a world with many, many villains. Um, you can call them, I think your point of calling them supervillains makes sense from that old perspective where you just have these rich white guys who are doing horrible things. And now we also have rich white guys who are doing horrible things, but we're getting a lot of good stuff out of it. If you own a building in the, the block that they're developing, your values are going to go up, but at the same time, your taxes might go up and then you might have to move too. <laughs> yeah. It, not, not just building stuff. I mean, Google, Facebook, yeah. Amazon, right? Amazon basically abuses their employees so that they can get your one day delivery in. They're, mm-hmm. they, they have a very short shelf life and we love it. We don't really care so much that it's abusive labor. That sounds really, I mean, I'm at, switch that into like a, a 1980s He-Man movie where you have the evil slave master who just goes through different humans building his machine so that you can get stuff. And we're like, well, that's not cool. That's right. But we have that now. And we think it's fantastic. Yeah, that is that is clearly the, the thrust of our cultural development. You, you don't have movies that are small scale, small problems. Superhero solves them anymore. Yeah. You have very gray area heroes where like, you might think like the Watchmen as an example. It deals with the problems of super powered people when they try and enforce a morality. And we start to question that. And now you would very much look at a superhero who tried to stop Amazon as someone who was trying to get in the way of capitalism, get in the way of hard work and development, get in the way of you know the free market. And we yeah. would see that person as a problem. Like if you if you release that if you release Superman one today, there's a small portion of the population that would be like, I didn't realize Superman was such a dick. He's probably a communist. He's supposed to be the ideal American. Yeah. Except he's a foreigner. Mm-hmm. That's a... I really let that sink in. Just let it, let it simmer. Um, okay, so you, you just mentioned something that we're, I guess we should talk about a bit too. This enforcing morality, right? So the difference between upholding it and enforcing it or being like the, the poster boy or girl of it or woman of it and then individual right yeah and this this asked me some this brings up questions i think of the nature of justice for us yeah because superheroes while they certainly are are the ideal moral people at times they are doling out justice um, and a very specific kind of justice right it's not like redistributive justice where batman brings everybody to the table and really talks to the Joker and says, listen, you got to give this money back. Please don't kill these people. He just beats the living hell out of you until he gets what he wants. Yeah. That's a very different kind of justice. That's retributive justice. <laughs> That's the good kind of justice when you're watching a movie. Right? And it only... We like that kind of justice when it's done on the people we think deserve it. Yes. But also... I have a little bit of a a concern about why we endorse the idea of giving these individuals who have no, there's no governmental say involved with this, right? I mean, um, Iron Man specifically says, no, you you can't have Iron Man. I am the Iron Man. I'm not going to work for the government, right? Superman does the same thing. He is not beholden to anybody. Hey, Um, Iron Man was in favor of the Sokovia Accords in the movies. It was Captain America that rejected the government oversight. Captain America, I hate that guy. Um, you totally broke my train of thought here, right? Oh, okay, yeah. So we these we we like giving we like that these people have this power when they use it in the way, but there's no checks and balances on those power. And, and when you stick in, in the in the the Avengers Civil War movie, when you start putting checks and balances on it you get a group that's kind of quasi bad, but also quasi good. Like both groups tend to be roughly equal, right? Like we should have some checks and and balance on our, our justice because we're doing a bunch of horrible things like destroying city blocks. And then the other group says, well, why would we ever trust the government? 
And if you're just watching, you don't care. But if you look at it from any kind of philosophical lens, you're like, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Is Captain America a terrorist? <laughs> Can we say he's a terrorist? Probably not. I think that <laughs> we'll be in a watch list for that. Like four people that are going to watch this that might put us on the list. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, right? They're, they're, the, the specific thing about we are the moral paradigm and no one should have, like we know better than anyone else, I think shows another shift in our view of superheroes where they are not human. They're not people anymore. They're not citizens. They're, they're something above us. They're godlike in many ways. They're yeah. almost too perfect. And narratively, they, now you see them go out of the way to justify both the violence and what they do, right? You, you don't get Lex Luthor, the real estate developer. You get Thanos, the destroyer of worlds. And then you look at the question of, should we trust the government as a form of oversight to tell us whether or not we can go and save these things and do this stuff? Yeah. Well, no, they're evil. Apparently, the government's been infiltrated by Hydra, so it's a non-question. <laughs> We make we make the distinctions very black and white so that we can gloss over those questions because we don't want to answer them anymore. We have this deep-seated distrust of the government. And so you want superheroes to be able to be like, yeah, the government's slow and slow to act and they're all full of bureaucracy and they won't do anything. And then you can ramp that up in a comic book. Well, you got super people, you got super evil government now. Yeah. It's, not even, it's a non-question. This is how we solve these problems. <laughs> It's not always a non-question. Okay, so um, X3, I guess, where they have the vaccine that can, <laughs> we're talking about vaccines, <laughs> they have the vaccine to, to, to cure the mutant gene. Um, you have one group of mutants who are just deemed as the bad guys who are basically just trying to prevent this vaccine from getting out because it is, in a, it's essentially, if you can look at it as a cultural genocide, yeah. it's trying to destroy a distinct culture right the whole idea behind x-men is this kind of cultural identity that you have be proud of yourself right there's there's something unique about you well let's wipe all of that away that's the that is a a, a, a specific government-esque idea giving everybody the choice to get vaccinated and become normal or not and then you have the good guys who are fighting vehemently against their own group trying to stop this vaccine when I watch that movie, I don't know who to root for because I, I, I really don't. Right. I mean, a part of me is like, yeah, it's they're trying to kill off an entire like subset of, of people. Yeah. I think I would also fight to stop that. But then you have yeah. the, the truth and justice X-Men who are saying, no, you can't do this because your methods or something aren't good enough, right? You can't just go around, bad, yeah. you can't you can't just go around killing people except when you want to go around killing people. So I think in that case, the lines are blurred. Yeah, that is definitely a problematic movie for a whole host of reasons, but that's the one because if you look at when Stanley did interviews and talked about what the X-Men were supposed to represent, right? It was people of color in the LBGTQ community. Hmm. So to run, to run that analogy into the ground with that movie, you've got the government who's offering basically gay conversion. Yeah. People of that community fighting against it and the good guys, we'll use big massive scare quotes, are trying to stop people in the disenfranchised community from protecting their community. Yeah. I guess the, the thing that they're, the, the, what, the, the justice part that they're fighting for would be that right to choose. Yeah. Which is very American. And the only reason that they have to choose is because they're being disenfranchised. The only reason that you would choose not to be a mutant is because society is condemning you for being a mutant. Yeah, there's active programs or programs to try and kill you, which is the next uh, iteration of, of movies where they come up with these weird hybrid robot things that go out and kill you if you have the mutant gene. Yes. So yes. Uh, convert or die yeah pretty much and you would understand it if it was like okay we're only targeting this for the people that have dis like disadvantaging mutations people that have like 17 legs and can't use any of them we'll give them the the vaccine and then they'll have two <laughs> perfectly functional legs but they're not they're targeting like angel and they're targeting the they're targeting like core mutants that have potentially beneficial superpowers is yeah. the way the movie frames it they're not yeah. trying to take the take away 
desperately disenfranchising powers. They're trying to take away superpowers. They're trying to take, like, what do you need Magneto to not have his power for? He could be building skyscrapers for us. I understand that he's not. He's killing people. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's protecting his kind with violence. But if we just embraced him, he'd probably stop trying to kill us and then think of all of the good that we could do. No, Vex, seen him to death. Yeah, it's that, it's that where is the violence directed? And if it's directed in the way that we want or like, it's totally fine, right? So that, that idea of being the, the, the violence to protect your kind of cultural people or whatever, who you identify with, we think is bad, but also we still think is bad, right? Like the Black Lives Matter movement, where white people got very, very scared for the fact that they were protesting that they probably shouldn't be, you know, in this position anymore. So we we did we have the same view, right? Like, oh no 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 no, you're a disenfranchised group, but let us let, let us kind of parent you instead of you going out there and doing these things. Magneto said, no, screw it. You guys have constantly been berating us, killing us, uh, treating us like non-human citizens. It's time for us to fight back and have our rights. Uh, he went a little bit further because it wasn't fight back and have our rights. It's death to all non-human or non-mutants. <laughs> So they, they had to make him that extra bit of evil yeah. to kind of, you know, to keep internal consistency. But we still have this like overarching fear of these other groups trying to get rights or privileges that we've been denying them, right? Through, if, if even if you have to, through violence. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of political violence. Um, Fair. I'm just, it's, it's, a, a, it's a, a blurry line that I don't know right when does it become too much because if i start saying things like i'm okay with some forms of political violence now i have to make arbitrary distinctions between things like um a violent protest uh to get rights versus uh a genocide yeah and i I, most people be like that's a clear distinction i'm like well it is it's a distinction of flavor yeah you're you're getting a popsicle either way it's whether you want the orange popsicle or the the pink one yeah And, and i don't like arbitrary distinctions because they're hard to defend because they're arbitrary yeah yeah at some point it sounds like you're saying i draw the line where it starts disenfranchising me yeah i mentioned earlier that we tend to look at these people like godlike figures Mm -hmm. and more and more movies and comics are pushing that idea that while we look at them as godlike figures they are anything but they they might be in um not just in like the marvel universe i'm thinking of the warhammer universe give me an example so in the warhammer universe um humans created this uh they they create space marines which are are humans that are genetically modified to be just bigger better stronger they have two hearts um three sets of lungs they can ingest poison they can spit acid they're basically designed they're 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 super soldiers designed to fight off any threat to humanity whatsoever right internal but mostly external and humans treat them as gods quite literally as i mean they're, they're described as angels um of the emperor like literally god's angels coming down to, to just dole out justice with bullets um, they're very direct there's no subterfuge it's just shoot you in the face until you're dead right but very quickly you see that they lose humanity that they, they, they know that they're so above humanity and because humans are so weak that they can't help themselves, they're constantly looking for the helpers, which are the, uh, the space marines, that they start to just treat humans like they're just a problem that needs to be deal with, like dealt with. So they, ha- they have slaves. They're, they're very open about having slaves. Serfs, they really don't show humans that much respect. Um, they will try and save them, but only because it's kind of inbred into them. And then you have a whole class of them that rebel because they realize that they are gods, that human, they're, they're no longer, there's no longer a touch of humanity in them, right? They're, our protectors have now become our greatest enemies, which I, I think is a fear in most comic books. That's one of the, one of the only positive sides of Batman versus Superman was Batman's long spiel about how Superman could probably kill us because I I read and consume tons of Warhammer. And I'm like, yes, yes, that is probably what would happen if, if actual world 
Yeah, and it's it's a running theme in science fiction and superhero movies. You can look at like iRobot, where the conclusion is human beings are bad for themselves, so we'll just control them into being good for themselves for their own good. Yeah. Then we won't circumnavigate the three laws. Uh, another another example of that is age, where you see it's a again villain, Age of Ultron, and Ultron spends five seconds on the internet, realizes humanity's probably not <laughs> to do itself any favors, and decides to help us along. Yeah. So, yeah, our, our heroes can become villains in a matter of seconds based on our perception of it, right? Yes. Because sure, certainly a, a paternalistic Ultron, we'd probably still flourish. There, there would be a lot less freedoms, I guess. But I mean, freedoms to do horrible things. Are those really things that we want to do? Freedom is freedom. Universal. Uh, see, this, this is another problem that I, I have that we should probably just, <laughs> just like straight up address is that most of this stuff is straight out of the U.S. Yeah. And it, 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 what is it? Rock, song, and eagle, or whatever the hell. Like, it is very much freedom first. And, right, it's, it's weird to question that even a little bit. Like, I'm Canadian, or we're both Canadian, and I still want to be like, well, I mean, shit, some freedoms probably we shouldn't have. I don't think they're freedoms. Right. So what's, what's wrong with a more paternalistic government, if, especially if it's going to foster... Uh, a better society and I, I really obviously the movie paints Ultron as being a psychopath yeah right? or he's a sociopath but a paternalistic government who refuses to let any nation for example go to war oh that that's horrible I need my my war I really like that <laughs> like what <laughs> and thus like, you see there's a deep-seated distrust of any kind of enforcement of morality even if we claim to have those morals the second that something comes along that says, I'm going to enforce the morals that you purport to have, we are more than willing to step back and say, whoa, whoa, that's too much for me, boss. I know. Ah. And, and, and the superheroes that enforce that, you just forget about the fact that they are infringing on whatever freedoms these other people might have, even if they're not guilty or they're just doing their own thing. Like, hey, we want to start our own kind of super government. You can't do that. Well, why not? because fight you <laughs> okay sounds great like isn't hydra just what it's like an international corporation at some point well they're nazis let's be yes re realistically yes. they're nazis I, I i do forget that it came out of out of the nazi germany yeah um who else would be another international body well, it doesn't really matter well, even, um, we, we even get the sense of the Avengers movies where they're talking about the, the Accords, right? They're talking about creating this third-party body that will review and, and analyze the superhero actions and what they can and can't do. This, the sense of any kind of that paternalism, they immediately have to intersect or in, inject into it something that makes it evil. Because otherwise yeah. we'd be left with that ambivalence like, wait a minute, maybe having some oversight with superhumans wouldn't be the worst thing, especially if they voluntarily agreed to it. Well, no, those are also still Nazis. <laughs> Hydra's there. Okay, that solves my moral dilemma. Let's move forward. Then why can't you have the Justice League? Well, no, the Justice League is, is not as bad, because I keep forgetting that Hydra originated from the whole Nazi thing. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I keep forgetting, because it's so far divorced from that Captain America movie for me now. But so the, the Justice League is just a group of superheroes that come together that self-police themselves. Yeah, pretty much. Again, that's no governmental or like oversight. That's putting yeah. all of our, our putting all of our trust and belief into these group of people who we think of as just being better than us. Until the second that they do something that doesn't uphold our ideals, and then the whole Justice League gets together to fight them. <laughs> Like that's when they splinter, they fight, and then they reconcile and come back. Or you find out that it's really some other energy inhabiting the Flash's body, and it wasn't really the Flash. So he's yeah. cool still. I'm still caught up with this holding up our ideas. and I don't know what that... Like, it's not our ideal. It's a very Western American version of ideals, right? For sure. Um, 
like Batman is a Batman's a horrible person. You leave I, Bruce Wayne out of this. I mean, okay, I, I wanted to talk about this earlier, but Batman is a horrible person. So he he goes around Gotham. He's he's a billionaire, one of the most one of the richest people in the world in canon. And what he does is buy a freaking suit to beat the shit out of people instead of having more social programs, maybe, you know, running for political office and using your sway as Bruce Wayne. Um, he lets many of these supervillains just live and go back to prison where they're just going to come out and murder and do all these things again. When, why? Because he doesn't want to kill them. But then you see him almost kill people throughout the way. They're just not important in the storyline. That's right. He's a utilitarian. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, when he probably should... He's a utilitarian who also takes on Kantian principles of that he can never break. <laughs> right? Like, he, he will... He'll do all... He'll beat you up, do these things for the greater good, but he will never intentionally take the life of the joker i use the joker as this business example because the joker is the most psychotic killer that he faces yeah. he should just kill the joker he should stop putting the joker in prison and just kill the joker yeah that old chestnut of you know if you kill if you kill someone then they're the number of killers in the world stays the same no you just kill like a dozen killers and then they're down by 11 like there's some very dark moments in the batman saga mm-hmm. and I understand why you don't kill off the main villains, right? You, they, you need to have, it's a story. It's a fictional story. Someone is probably yeah. listening to this going, do these idiots know this is fake? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. But I'm trying to, to figure out the internal consistency of, of this, of the moral worth of Batman, because we, we think that he is morally worthy. And yet he continually chooses to do probably the, the worst of the two acts. Yeah. Uh, and this isn't just for Batman. This goes with pretty much every superhero. I mean, especially Superman. For sure. Superman just has to kill one person. Just the <laughs> and one it's all time, over. Right? Like when I watch, when I watch The Boys, there's a, a Superman-esque version of it, right? But he's he is quite literally insane. Yeah. And the only thing that keeps him in check is the moral praise that we give him. Mm-hmm. as soon as we stop giving him that praise he will kill us all <laughs> he, he specifically says it yeah <laughs> at one point he says it would forgot what it is but it's an ultimatum where if, if if this other person doesn't do x he will just go and kill everyone so, okay yeah <laughs> um but i like the i like the anti-heroes because they blur that line of morality, right? They have, we impart them with all of their moral worth by but what their actions are, but their motives, their intentions are all horrible. It's usually self-interest. What if they um, horrible? I mean, really, those self, that self-interested would be just the penultimate Ayn Rand uh, arbiter right there. Like Anne Rand would just be like, yes, you, everything should be for your own rational self-interest. Murder, steal, whatever. As long as you're doing it to the right people. I'm not familiar too much with Anne Rand. <laughs> it's probably for the best. <laughs> and somebody's going to be like, that's not really what Anne Rand was saying. Kind of is. <laughs> if you have a problem with David's interpretation of Anne Rand, leave it in the comments below. <laughs> yes. Um... I do like the uh, the antiheroes because they show us kind of the veneer of what we are, of what we're worshiping or what we're putting out there as an ideal, right? Because the yeah. ideal is, is empty because it's just what we see and what we believe. As soon as we start changing our mind about this person, it, it's over. And yeah. their own intentions don't seem to matter, right? Like if, if Superman were, I mean, that was part of the reason of the, of the Civil War movie with the Avengers is the Avengers were doing a bunch of good shit but there was a lot of civilian casualties that some of them went, well, maybe we should stop and think mm-hmm. about what we do. And yeah. the other half went, how dare you? Because they're probably Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Killing a bunch of innocent people to definitely stop a few bad people is totally fine. Or if the people that, are, that you're trying, or if the reason that 
they're asking you to not kill so many people is because of the people that are asking you are evil. I guess. I don't see Iron Man as being purely evil. No. Like he, he made some I, good points there about, you know, maybe we should reel this in, right? Batman yeah. had the same thing, like the whole premise of Batman versus Superman is Batman is, is watching what Superman is doing in the name of justice and he is, there are innocent people dying. Yeah. So that he can that he can hopefully stop a villain who may kill thousands or whatever the hell the, the plot was for that thing. Um, but that's that's an important like check and balance, right? We would like to have our arbiters of justice have some kind of checks and balance. Like that's why we have, I mean, the, the, the police and the military just don't, don't get to do whatever they want. And we have a deep-seated fear of, of them possibly doing whatever they want. Yeah, and, and Batman expressed that fear for us. Um, yeah. Superman, even though he is the best of us, right? He's the most noble and what have you. His, his whole thing is protect and serve. There's always a chance. Not, definitely not in that movie, though. No, no. But the, 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 the version of Superman that most people know yeah. and, and love is this truth to a defender of justice or what have you right? yeah truth justice and the american way oh lord yeah and th- i think there's that ambiguity that just sort of subtle distrust of of power is what is framing a lot of the especially the dc universe live action movies and superman isn't rural boy from kansas who takes up all the best of the midwestern ideals and then brings them into the world and tries to protect people who are embracing those ideals no, that story is his father dies telling him to hide his powers. So he does. He goes and broods for a while until people that he likes are in danger. Mm. And he swoops in, kills the bad guys. And he's pretty cool at that point. It's just like, that's just the end of the first movie. That's the end of Man of Steel. And then so, Batman versus Superman has that moment in the, where they're doing the congressional hearing where they're trying to figure out what they should do about Superman, maybe. Yeah, but the government seems like the bad guys in that one because you're like, well, there's a cat, there's an existential threat coming. The last thing you want to do is hem in Superman because he's going to save you all, save you all. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I guess the idea of what can we do to hem in Superman is nothing. Yeah. Unless you're Batman, and then you can do whatever you want. You can set up this elaborate trap where you can basically he he has him dead. He has him dead to rights if he wants because Superman's being all nice and not killing him. That's right. Um. Okay, I want to circle back to this initial talk that we had. Or the initial... Please do. What then... So we just had a long convo about what superheroes represent, antiheroes, godlike figures, natures of justice. Why then do we as adults want to go back and look to them for help? Mm-hmm. Right? That, that nostalgic feeling is, is a nostalgic feeling, but it also tells us um, that we're looking for aid. We're looking for someone to have that power, that movement that we don't have. And I've already asked this question, but you know, what makes one is what makes that person a hero, and two yeah. is why can't we do it, and why are we also searching for that still? Like, are are we stunted as a generation? And this is this is, a, this is this is, it's like a fun question to ask, but there's a lot in our generation that really points to us being seemingly stunted, like developmentally, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't have access to the same jobs in the world. Many of us still live at home in your 30s. We need to have a boatload of education to do anything, which means you're pushing back your adulthood. That's um, right. Recent reports in t- Toronto real estate suggested that most people that are in our age bracket were able to buy houses because their parents bought the houses. Or gave them yeah. a substantial amount of money for a down payment. Yeah. yeah. So is it is it a, a failing on our generational part that we're we're searching for answers here? It, it seems very specific to us. Like my my younger cousins watch superhero movies, but they don't look to them the same way that now I can look back and kind of yearn for someone to be able to kind of take control or solve some of these problems for me because I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm in my mid thirties. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't need someone to solve my problems, but yet, hell, I really do. <laughs> you really like that, right? Yeah. At least the superheroes that, the heroes, I'll just say heroes that we grew up with, everything was very black and white for them, mm. right? G.I. Joe versus Cobra. There's, there's, no, there's no gray, mushy middle there. 
Like there might be one character in the movie that's like, I don't know if I want to follow Cobra because they're kind of jerks. Mm. So he see he's like that, but still it's Co- Cobra, GI Joe, clear cut. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder. There's not really, yeah. a, there's no gray there. Um, Transformers, the Decepticons. Again, no gray. So there's a, there's something reassuring about about being able to conceive of people as villains. Hmm. That I think society is trying to train out of us, for better or worse. Right? We understand that people aren't just X, Y, and Z. There are a whole host of socio-economic, cultural milieus that come together and form a person who has thoughts and feelings and beliefs. Yeah. We've kind of accepted culturally that everyone's trying to do their best. We might just not agree with their methods. Yeah. And so we can't see people as villains. I think we have a hard time seeing people as villains or things that are bad. We have a hard time saying X is bad. We need to do something about it. We have like, it's sort of cultural and it's sort of historical. And maybe if we do a little bit at a time, it might change over the next hundred or 200 years. And we we're stuck there. We're stuck with indecision and inability because yeah, my two cents towards the meat industry isn't going to make a big difference. But if it's genuinely bad, I'd love it for Superman to come in and punch somebody in the face. So yeah, I think that the black and white ideal that we might have in the world is is, is nice because we do look for people to help solve our problems. So I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Jacqueline looks online for people um, who do like the van life stuff or the tiny homes. Um, specifically because she's looking for more control and something manageable, right? We, we can't afford a house in Toronto. She's working. My job is precarious at best. We do not make enough. So something like van life actually looks kind of cool. And I don't mean like living in a van and not showering, making a really nice like mobile home basically, or finding a tiny home to live in. So she's looking for other adults who have done things that now she can get to, right? She looks at um, YouTubers talk about retirement savings, um, like she talks about uh, kids and child rearing and all this stuff. Like she's, she's always finding adults that'll help her be an adult. Mm. And that's normal. That's like a, a, a normal practice that we do, it, which is weird because we're adults. We should kind of figure out our own way at times. <laughs> um, that was a long, that was a long tangent. To tell everyone that you respect your wife. <laughs> which is always a good thing. Which is worth it. Which is yeah. worth it. I mean, I think it shows in things like surveys of happiness, how if you go back to even America, North America in the 40s, 50s and 60s, they had this sense of this is what you do, right? And it worked, right? You you finished high school, you got a job, you got married, you had kids, you died. It might not have made anyone happy. But at least they knew that they were doing everything they were supposed to. So there was this background sense of, like, I might not be thrilled. My marriage might not be great. I might not be happy with my kids. But I am, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And over time, we've lost the sense of supposed to do because we realize that it's mostly a social construct. Yeah. And there's a generation of kids that are like, I'm supposed to be whoever I want to be. But that's a very gray framework for background self-fulfillment. Yeah. And they also, again, previous generations also had or accepted clear enemies, right? You had World War One, World War Two, the, Jer- <laughs> the Russians, the communism. If, if you ate sauerkraut, you were a bad guy for like yeah. 90 years. Sure. there, But there was a sense that you could point to the bad people and know yeah. that you must have been the good guy in comparison. Yeah. And again, we've lost that sense because... Now you can't, you're not going to be pointing to a person of color and being like, that's the bad person because that makes you a moron. Yeah. You're not going to po- put, <laughs> that makes you the bad person. Yeah, exactly. We, we call out people that are purposely prejudiced against other people because yeah. we understand that being disenfranchised doesn't make you bad. It makes you disenfranchised. It makes you worthy of support and help and allies. Yeah. But where, where do we put that energy? Because there are so many people that are disenfranchised in so many ways. Is it the people disenfranchised by class or race or color or cultural orientations? Where where do we help? We can't just, we're not just now calling out communists. We're trying to actively find people that need our support and then support them in a way that respects them as individuals. Yeah. Because paternalism is not, not the answer either, we've realized. We can't just 
take take native children and put them in residential schools to improve their lives that makes us the bad guys right there are all kinds of ways to help that make you a villain yeah so like our conclusion from our last podcast there's this burden of choice that i think our generation specifically is growing up with because we're the tail end of the 80s was the tail end of clear good guys and bad guys Mm-hmm. There was Reagan. Once Reaganomics took hold, and all of a sudden everybody was a little bit disenfranchised. It's very much like, okay, I can't just finish high school, get a job, get married, have kids, and know that I've done something. Yeah. And I now recognize that all of those are choices, and they all have consequences. And am I happy with or fulfilled by the individual consequences of all of those choices? And a lot of people aren't anymore. If you can even get a job out of high school, which you can't, or even yeah. out of university, again, which you can't so we're we feel like we're also the disenfranchised people but like i still want somebody to help me because i want to help other people who i know are more disenfranchised than me and maybe there's something to that maybe it's recognizing that we're all broken people trying to help broken people but it makes it but it's exhausting it's a very big responsibility broken people helping broken people probably makes the most sense um you can tell this this stuff links back into this you know, the origins and the ideas and the reasons why we had these superheroes, right? It was a good way to indoctrinate a certain kind of um, identity and expression in yourself and an easy way to, to parse out who the enemies were. So the, the final question that I want to ask, um, then is, is it time for superheroes to end? Like as a, as a tool. So I, I, I framed superheroes as being a tool to train kids. To kind of teach them, I think it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think an interesting and important part of a moral development. Um, but once you hit adulthood, the, the development you know is is false. It's it's actually not the way the superheroes were were doing it. There's so much more intricacies, right? Maybe self pride right. isn't the best thing if you are a neo Nazi. Uh, maybe you should have uh, not self pride, <laughs> the opposite of it. Right. We've been encouraging people to question themselves. And the sense of pride that you're talking about is contrary to that. It's antithetical yeah. to self to growth in the way that we would like people to grow. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of there, there's a there's more things that they do that are definitely positive, but I don't know if they have the same place anymore. And I think if we look at movies and comic books and cultural references to superheroes now, we can see they're no longer the superheroes that we grew up with. They are that they are the antihero. They, they dress like heroes, they talk like heroes, but they're human in the end. And when you look behind the veneer, that whole moral paradigm or moral paragon kind of fades away into something darker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't and know if- myths have developed to reflect that, like you mentioned. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know if superheroes have that same function anymore. Like, are they now just purely for entertainment, which is fine. But I don't like. They certainly weren't created just for our entertainment. There, there's no right. chance in hell you can tell me that Superman wasn't um, American propaganda or um, Captain America wasn't. Hell, even Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah. is very much with power comes responsibility, and we have tons of power in the West. So we have responsibility to protect anyone who needs protection. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, that's a great thing. Except paternalism doesn't always work, um, and the kind <laughs> of protection you want to give might be very different. Right? See you know, world history circa <laughs> 1700s and later. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't know if there's an answer to that. Maybe superheroes should still be around with their pure entertainment. I'm not sure if they're moral paragons anymore. I've always considered human beings creatures of myth, right? Mm. Uh, like we mentioned in several podcasts, we like a story that coheres. We're that tells us, yeah, we are myth-making people. Our brains are myth-making things. If the story doesn't cohere, we are in a bad spot mentally. Yeah. And there's a sense that I like myths for what they can tell us because you look at even the say the go back to go back centuries to the Greek myths. Right? These these people were designed to tell us something important. And they all had a character flaw that was fatal. And I would like to see more superheroes that have these fatal flaws. Achilles is the hero to the people. It's very clear that Achilles is only the hero to the people he's supporting. Yeah, you you can't read that myth in any other way. Achilles is a great <laughs> hero to the Greeks. Full stop. He's, yeah, he's he's the, he's the devil for everyone else. Yeah, he is evil according to the Trojans. 
Yeah. And you get a sense of that. You watch even, it's not a great movie representing the myth, but Troy with uh, Brad Pitt. You get, you get the sense that he's only a hero as a tool. And then yeah. he's cautioned about being too prideful. And then he's too prideful and he dies. Yeah. There's a natural, there's a natural tool within framework goes outside of his framework is killed. Now that, that is a good message to the degree that we need to realize that some of the things that we prize can turn around on us if we prize them too dearly, or if we are too proud of them or too something that lets us step out too far from what we're, what we're good for. Yeah, if if you if you lean into things too much, like if he he leaned into his version of reciprocal justice, yeah, by killing Hector was it? It was Hector, I think, right? Yeah, kills Hector, takes his eyes, defiles the body. That was him getting retributive justice for killing his his cousin. Yeah, that's taking it way too far. Like we're okay with justice and doling out justice, especially the Greeks. And in this point, it was like, yes, this guy is the thing that does this. But even they went, hell, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. And that is a cautionary tale, right? Just like the pride coming before the fall. It's a cautionary tale for us to see these myths. We didn't talk about the Greek myths uh, and the, the superhero demigods they are because they are much more human. They have, they're riddled with flaws, right? Yeah. Um, we wouldn't, the only one who probably has, I guess the closest thing would be Hercules. Hercules yeah. is probably the best in the sense that I don't know actively what flaws he had. Super violent, like excessively violent, even for the Greeks. I don't know what flaws he had. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if, if his function was war, then I don't know how excessive, sure, you might call it excessive violence, but if that's your only function. Maybe that's yeah. one of his flaws is that he's not, he's not a statesman. He's not, he's not anything other than a, a, just a tool for war. Yeah. Maybe that's a flaw. I mean, we're reading, we're reading it back, right? When he's murdering men, women, and children indiscriminately, reading that from <laughs> our modern lens, it's like, this person is a supervillain. But according yeah. to the Greeks, yeah, he was very much a hero that fulfilled his function yeah. and taught us a le- an important lesson. And when he stepped outside of his function. And so <laughs> I'll just tangent this for a second. There's a bad way to read that myth too, hmm. right? The message that we, we want is definitely not perform your function or die <laughs> because there's a way to read, to read those myths where that's what the Greeks were trying to tell us. Perform yeah. your function, only that function or die. That's a terrible moral and a terrible message as well. Yeah. Yeah, the, I just needed to put that disclaimer in there. No, no, that, that that's good, right? Like I was, we were on that 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 track of explaining why we're not talking about the Greek myths because they're just fundamentally different kinds of things. Yeah, um, superheroes currently don't have that function or die thing, and they don't have any of these real big flaws, right? They're so they they have weaknesses certainly, but the weaknesses aren't some kind of moral weakness or crippling ability, right? Right. Um, Batman's biggest weakness is that he won't kill the joker and the joker knows it um, yeah but really his biggest weakness is that he misses his parents yeah that's it right superman's biggest weakness is a green rock that makes him human so his biggest <laughs> weakness is being human <laughs> yes um, so it doesn't they don't have the same value i think or cash value as as those greek myths there's something different about them yeah um well i think we covered a, a bunch, right? We, we turned superheroes into an hour of morality, uh, a lost generation of people. Yep. Right? Myth-making. They, they are an interesting... They're an interesting study, right? I mean, like, like literature, these figures, pop culture tells us a lot about humans. Tells us a lot about our psychology, what we want, what we hate, what we fear. And superheroes certainly point to that and... I'm not sure on where the, these new versions of it stand. I think it also shows us the, the the fear that we all kind of have of someone who has absolute power or that much power, yeah. right? Justified or not, like there's fears in the government, fears in the military, fears of police um, because those people have more power than us, right? We are powerless in a sense to stop them. And if they decide Absolutely. to do something, we what function do we have to stop them other than calling on more of their kind mm-hmm. to stop them? So that's an interesting fear that we have. Um, 
but then i don't know i've kind of lost the the flavor of superheroes now we don't we don't make any new ones we're still recycling old ones i mean we, we literally recycle them like the winter soldier and the falcon it's just it's just a new version of captain america um, passing on the shield we've we've not created new we've not created new heroes we've just no we have iron heart who's taking the place of iron man in some comics we have the the female thor hmm. yeah yeah well final final comments on this no i think you've more or less summarized it right if we're treating them as modern myths to try and inform us if nothing else they show how broken our social identity is now yeah. Because we do our superheroes fight. We want our superheroes to even fight amongst themselves because the ideals of Batman are not necessarily the ideals of Superman. And both of them represent us somehow. Yeah. And it, it's very clear that these superheroes are a, an analog for our internal or our cultural unease. The strife that is definitely going on. And you've pointed that out with Black Lives Matter, with the police, with this fear of the state. There, there's a lot of fear now that's pervading our culture and it's pervading yeah. our myth. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because it becomes an echo chamber. If I'm afraid of the government and my comic books and my myths are mirroring back at me a fear of authority, that continues to splinter us. And splintering tends to lead to more fear and then more unease and the anxiety that we mentioned in our Capitol Hill riot podcast. Yep. And, uh, and these myths are not just for kids one of the reasons we're really talking about this is because our generation is is looking back at the old myths and we're consuming these new ones um this has been another episode of the untitled philosophy podcast thank you so much again for listening uh if you're still with us do not forget to like and subscribe have a wonderful day 